I, uh, I hate driving in convoy, uh, especially when I'm at the back. Uh, the person that I'm following is always brimming with confidence about how easy this next half an hour's journey or so is going to be. Uh, but then they know the way. I know that it's only going to take one unfortunately timed red light or one busy roundabout and I'm going to be lost driving aimlessly around a city that I don't know. Before we moved to Sheffield, we lived in Northampton. And one time a few years ago, we were taking our church youth group on a Christmas shopping trip to Milton Keynes. We drove. I was at the back. And to be honest, it's a minor miracle that I'm here today. Uh, Milton Keynes is a town built around a rectangular grid of roundabouts, all of them alike. And on one of them I lost sight of the car in front of me, and from then on every exit of every roundabout seemed to be signposted for the shopping centre. And so whilst others were busy finishing up buying their presents, uh, I was doing laps of the local scenery. I hate driving in convoy. I'm worried that I'll lose sight of the person ahead. I'm worried that when that happens... I won't be able to find the way on my own. In John 14, we see Jesus' disciples facing a similar and yet, of course, far greater challenge. Because Jesus is telling them that he's about to leave. Their friend and teacher and guide. Their Lord, who has been with them every step of the way for the past three years. That will be with them for just a few more hours. And what makes it worse, Jesus says that where he is going, they can't follow Chapter 13, verse 33, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. And so, as Andrew said last week, when we looked at the start of this chapter, the disciples are left feeling that everything is falling apart, uh, with a sense of loss and failure. Lost because Jesus says that he's going and will be with them no longer. Failure because they are too weak to follow. Jesus tells them that all will desert him. Even Peter, who says that he's ready to die for Jesus, will before the night is out have disowned him three times. How can they survive without Jesus? How will they know the way to go? That's the question that troubles their hearts. And it is a right question. Uh, The answer here is not that they need to pull themselves together, that it's time for them to come out from under the shadow of Jesus and to go out into the world on their own. Uh, In our culture today, we've made independence and self-sufficiency almost the the defining characteristics of adulthood. And so perhaps the thought of 11 grown men troubled at the idea of being without Jesus seems rather weak and pathetic to our modern mindset But it's not when you realise who Jesus is. Not when we see, as Jesus says in verse 6, that he is the way, the truth and the light. Not when we realise, as Jesus says in verse 9, that when you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Jesus is God. He is what life is all about. If we want answers, he is the truth. If we want direction, he is the way. If we want true life, then he is it. You and I exist for a reason. And that reason is that we will glorify the God who made us and in him find joy and satisfaction forever. And Jesus is the key to it all. 
Uh, To want independence or self-sufficiency from Jesus is not strong and brave. It is idiocy and weakness. It is both an affront to the God who made us and loves us, and it is an attack on our very selves. For to live without God is to live a half-life of restless searching for a happiness that we've turned our back on. To live without Jesus is to live without the key to life. No, it is an understandable and right worry that the disciples have here. Their hearts troubled because they do not know how they will go on without him. But it is a needless worry. Because Jesus says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled, verse 1. And then again in verse 27 in our passage, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. His answer to their fears is that although he is shortly going where they cannot follow, he's going to the death on the cross, he is doing it so that he will be with them forever. So last week we saw Jesus reassure them of the hope of heaven, that one day Christians will be at home with the Father. Now look at verse 2 there. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. That's why Jesus goes to the cross, because he secures a place for us, so that the Father's house is our home. And where we have not a guest room, but but our room. This is no house where you have to worry about whether to take your shoes off at the door. That's our home with God. Don't be troubled, says Jesus, because one day when Jesus returns, you will be with me and the Father forever. But then also in our verses today, Jesus says, don't be troubled, because that amazing future starts now. Because Jesus and the Father come and make their home with us today. See verse 23? Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That word for home there is the same word as for rooms in verse 2. Just as our future is that we will have a home with God, so today God makes his home in us he does it through the Holy Spirit who Jesus promises here that he will send into the hearts of everyone who loves him so then how is it that the Holy Spirit answers our troubled and fearful hearts how will this passage help us if perhaps we're worried about how we will face this coming week with the troubles and difficulties that it might bring Perhaps we feel like we're struggling on our own, isolated. How will it help us if we're worried whether or not we'll make it for the long haul? As the Christian life stretches out in front of us, will we make it? Well, first let's consider the benefits of the Holy Spirit that Jesus lays out for his disciples. The benefit here is that the Holy Spirit gives us close relationship with God. Just listen to how the phrases sort of stack up throughout the passage. Verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. Verse 17, you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. 
Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 19, you will see me. Verse 20, on that day you will realise that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Verse 23, my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? That God would come and make his home with us. I don't know about you, but I can just about get my head around the idea of being invited along to Buckingham Palace by the Queen. Only this time you're fetched by a horse-drawn carriage. Now, when you arrive, a footman takes your bags and shows you to this magnificent room. And just then the Queen comes in and says, Welcome, I want this to be your home. It would be extraordinary, wouldn't it? But how about if one day... a You're in one evening, perhaps watching TV, and there's a knock on the door. And when you answer, there's the Queen, with a rucksack over her shoulder. And she says, I've come to stay. I'd like to live with you. Wouldn't that be even more extraordinary? And yet here, that is what God does for us. He comes into our lives. He comes to live in us and with us. See, Jesus is going, and his disciples can't follow, but they'll never get lost. Unlike my time in Milton Keynes, they will never be left on their own, because the Holy Spirit will come. As though the driver of the car in front has got out, and come to sit in the front seat alongside you. And you notice here the closeness of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Earlier on, Jesus has said that to see him is to see the Father. Well, so too here. To have the Spirit with us is to have the Father and Son making their home with us. God, the three in one. In verse 16, uh, the Holy Spirit is another counsellor, which means that he is another like Jesus. Just think about that, what that would have meant for the disciples. For them, Jesus had been their strength and their help their companion and their friend. He had been everything to them. They had left everything to follow him. Now that term, counsellor, literally means someone who comes alongside us. It can have legal overtones. uh, An advocate, the person who stands beside you and pleads your case. Uh, But I think it's wider than that too. Uh, He is a helper, an encourager, a strengthener, The Holy Spirit is the one whom, as long as he's there with us, we know we'll be okay. At the end of last year, my daughter Emma was in the Christmas play of the preschool she was at at the time. Uh, She was a star. Uh, I don't mean she was great. Uh, I mean she was dressed up as a star. (laughs) And Helen and I didn't know too much about it. Uh, We'd never seen any of the rehearsals. Uh, And when we asked her in the run-up, she was a bit cagey about talking about it, we got the impression that she wasn't mad keen on doing it in the first place. And so on the day, we weren't sure what to expect. Would there be floods of tears? Uh, Would Emma hide in the background and not do what they practised? Oh, when the time came, these uh, group of toddlers uh, trooped out, all dressed up as something or other, and there at the back, uh, looking very shy, came Emma. And she looked up and saw these rows of adults uh, who'd never been there at rehearsal, And she seemed to get even smaller. 
Uh, but then she caught my eye. And she saw Helen. And she saw her brother frantically waving at her. And she smiled. Uh, suddenly everything was okay. Because mum and dad were here. That is what it's like to know that the Holy Spirit is with us. That God is making his home with us. And it's forever. See verse 16. It's forever, so don't be troubled. Whatever you're going to face, whatever this week holds, don't be troubled. Jesus, the Father, they are with us through the Holy Spirit. Just earlier this week, I was talking with someone who's looking into the Christian faith. And one of the things they said was that it's all very well talking about Jesus and his death on the cross for us. That They could see that that might be good news. They just didn't think they'd be able to keep going if they become a Christian. They didn't think they'd be able to survive as a Christian. To keep trusting. And so I spoke to them about the Holy Spirit and his work. About this another counsellor that Jesus promises to give us so that we're never alone because God is at home with us. What is the benefit of the Holy Spirit? Close relationship with God forever. And then towards at the end of our reading, two other uh, particular ways uh, how that applies are mentioned. In verses 25 and 26, the Holy Spirit is going to bring them the word of God. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, part of the Spirit's work then is that he oversaw the writing of the Bible, helping Jesus' friends to remember the things that he had said to them, teaching them what it meant. Indeed, throughout John's Gospel, he keeps telling us at key points that the disciples didn't understand some of the things Jesus said and did at the time, but later they did understand. And we saw one a couple of weeks ago in 13 verse 7. As Jesus prepares to wash the disciples' feet, he says, you do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Later, after the cross and resurrection, after the Spirit is given so that their eyes are open to the truth. For us today, it means that we can trust these words. We can know that they are the source of truth for us. Because the Spirit has made sure that the Son's words are here for us. And verse 24 of our passage, we know that the Son's words are not his own, but belong to the Father who sent him. The Trinity again, working together to speak to our hearts. Close relationship with God, shown in the word of God brought to us. And also verse 27, in the peace of God with us. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Of course, back then it was common to say peace be with you to people you met. People said it all the time. But Jesus says here he doesn't say it as the world does because he really gives peace. 
That's what his going to the cross is all about. It, it restores us to God. It brings us into peace with him. And with the Holy Spirit, we have the guarantee that our relationship with God is restored, that we are his. As it says in 2 Corinthians, God has set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. How will we survive without Jesus? That's what the disciples were thinking. And Jesus says they don't have to. He says, you won't be without me. In fact, the best is yet to come. You won't be left as orphans. Instead, he will make his home with us. But if that is the benefit of the Holy Spirit, who then are the beneficiaries of the Holy Spirit? Because it's not everyone. Three times in these verses, Jesus spells out that the Holy Spirit is given only to those who love and obey him. It's there in verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Then again in verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And then again verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, And we will come to him and make our home with him. Let's just be clear on what this is not saying. It's not saying that there's an order like this. First you love Jesus, next you obey him, and then if you get both of those right, then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. It's not saying that for for two reasons. One, because you can't separate love for Jesus and obedience to him like that. They are one and the same, two sides of the same coin. But also our love and obedience is itself a work of the Holy Spirit. He is our counsellor, our strength and guide who allows us to live for God. Now Jesus' point here is not to jot down a quick to-do list for how to receive the Holy Spirit. Instead his point is that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to every Christian. Everyone who loves Jesus and who therefore obeys Jesus. I hope that the obedience language here doesn't throw you. Sometimes I think we're so concerned in talking to unbelieving friends to make sure they realise that Christianity is not a set of rules. It's not a moral test where if you pass it, you'll you'll be okay with God. As Paul was saying earlier on, it's not that we're good enough, that we're good people or perfect people. No, it is instead a realisation that we need forgiveness and a trust in Jesus as the only one who can bring us that forgiveness. Sometimes though we're so concerned to get that right that we forget that to trust Jesus is to throw our lot in with him and to say, I will follow you. It's just what we were singing earlier on. You are holy, you are mighty, you are worthy worthy of praise and so we will follow we will listen we will love you great words aren't they of course really we all know that love and action go hand in hand 
Uh, The husband who says that he loves his wife, but who does nothing for her. Who never lifts a finger to help. Who never makes a single sacrifice for her sake. Actually doesn't love her at all. Uh, Up in Edinburgh, there's a famous statue of a little Sky Terrier called Greyfriars Bobby. Uh, Greyfriars Bobby uh, travelled into Edinburgh in 1865 from the farm where he lived uh, with the man John Gray, who was the shepherd who looked after him. John Gray, though, was a very ill man and he died of pneumonia on that visit to Edinburgh and they buried him in the city. And that little dog started to sleep on his grave. Uh, The farmer who owned him came to fetch him and took him back to the farm eight miles outside Edinburgh. Uh, But Bobby found his way straight back into the city. For 14 years, he slept every night on John Gray's grave. Now, during that time, the city authorities introduced dog licences for the first time where a fee had to be paid. And so the question was raised whether this dog should be put down. In the end, the provost of Edinburgh awarded Greyfriars Bobby the freedom of the city so that every night he could be there on his master's grave, summer and winter. Who'd have a cat? If love could lead a dog to do that, what has love for Jesus done in your life and mine? Do you think that John Gray had done more for that dog than Jesus has done for you? Christian, if you love Jesus, then does it show? If it doesn't show, then you do not love. Do you love Jesus? Do you delight in him? Do you delight in what he's done for you? Can you join with the Apostle Paul in saying that you will boast in nothing except Christ and him crucified? To love Jesus is to trust what he has done for us, to trust his death and to rejoice in his resurrection and triumph. Of course, that's why only those who love Jesus like this can receive the Holy Spirit. Because only those who trust Jesus' death for us are reconciled to God, turned from his enemies to his friends and dearly loved children. And so only those who love Jesus benefit from the close relationship with God that the Holy Spirit brings. There will, I'm sure, be some here tonight. And you know that at the moment you don't have this relationship with God. Perhaps there are some listening in. And actually you're waiting for God to make himself real to you. That's what you're looking for. For God to come close so that you can know him. Oh, you've heard the message of the gospel. You know about Jesus and his death on the cross. But you want something else. Uh, You want something more. Perhaps you even see yourself as wanting to know God. If only he'd reveal himself to you. If that's where you are tonight, then Jesus' challenge to you here is that you do not lack information. You do not lack for revelation from God. What you lack is love for God. It's not that you need more than the cross. It is that you haven't responded to the cross as you should. 
It hasn't melted your heart in love for Jesus, who is willing to go through judgment and hell for you. Verse 23 again. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to live and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Uh, we've got a piano in our house. Um, it's getting a little bit old, and so when we play a music CD through the stereo, and uh, you can sometimes hear a, a sort of long note on the CD, it sets up a resonance in the piano strings so that the piano makes the same sounds in echo. Well, God's love for us, shown in Jesus, shown on the cross, is supposed to start off a resonance in the fibres of our being so that we love Jesus in return, trust his death for us, and so receive relationship with God that the Holy Spirit applies to our everyday experience. But if we will not, if we will not love, then we will not obey and we will not receive the Holy Spirit and even that is a blessing from God. For to meet him before we are forgiven would be to die in the eternal judgment of hell. Look again to Jesus and to what he has done for you. Ask if God could show you any more clearly that he loves you. For those of us who are Christians here tonight, Jesus makes clear the application for us. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Whatever the future may hold, whatever tomorrow holds, he is with us. We look forward to a day when we will be brought to our eternal home in the Father's house. And in the meantime, we have God making his home with us as an ever-present counsellor and friend.